seated, everyone. One of the truths of Scripture, as we just sung, our hunger, our hearts always hunger for healing and grace, uh, even when we don't, uh, even when we don't believe it ourselves, uh, even when we don't understand it ourselves. Um, that our hearts are always hungry for for grace. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Uh, we'll be reading verses 11 through 21. Last Lord's Day, we uh, read verses 1 through 21. We're reminded of this uh, second great uh, sign, the second great uh, miracle, the feeding of a, a huge crowd. We're reminded that uh, Jesus is patient with his disciples uh, as he continues to show him his, his glory. And so we focused on that. Again, the feeding uh, of the 4,000 and Jesus' interaction with his disciples. Uh, this uh, morning we recognize there were other people uh, who also were talking to Jesus uh, and um, about signs. And uh, he was speaking to his disciples then about uh, the leaven of the Pharisees. And so we want to consider these words. So Mark 8, uh, verses 11 uh, through 21. This is the word of the Lord. The Pharisees uh, came... And began to argue with him, that's Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now, they've forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet uh, understand? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, we have just sung together that you are the one that we praise. Uh, You are the one we adore. And so we pray Again today, by that mysterious and wonderful working of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would show us why, why it is that you are the one that we praise and that you are the one we adore. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we are working through the Gospel of Mark, we have found several times, I think, over and over again, that sometimes... Sometimes it doesn't matter uh, how much evidence you have, uh, some will not believe. Uh, The story uh, is told uh, of the man uh, who thought that he was dead. And the family tried mightily to convince him that he was not dead, but he would not be persuaded. And finally, in desperation, they took him to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist tried various tactics, but nothing worked. And finally, he decided, if I can simply convince him of one fact that contradicts his belief, 
that he's dead that should cure him. So he decided to use the simple truth that dead men do not bleed. And so he gave the men medical textbooks to read. Uh, he had them watch different uh, uh, medical videos and such. Uh, finally, after several weeks, the man said, okay, okay, you've convinced me dead men do not bleed. And then immediately the psychiatrist stuck him in the arm with a needle and the blood flowed. And the man looked down at his arm with a shocked look on his face and cried out, dead men do bleed after all. You've probably heard that, but it's perfect for this passage. Some have simply, of course, that story, some have simply made up their minds that they will not be convinced, regardless of whatever evidence you show them. We've seen a lot of evidence uh, of the person of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, the good news of the Gospel. Uh, we've seen Jesus the King coming uh, with his kingdom, establishing a new rule and reign, a reign over which he is king. He is the one who has all power. He speaks to the creation and it, uh, it obeys his voice. He speaks to evil spirits and they can only obey. Uh, he speaks to, uh, to sickness and he speaks to uh, the dead and they are given new life. And he's also the compassionate uh, savior. He's the compassionate king who has come. Uh, he is he is tender. He is gentle. Uh, he is lowly. Uh, he forgives sinners. Uh, he touches the untouchable. Uh, and he does what, uh, what the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, did not do. That is, have their hearts go out in compassion uh, for those uh, who were lost. And so we've seen a lot of Evidence. And last time we were thinking about how the disciples, despite all the evidence, were slow to understand. But Jesus is very patient with them uh, as he is very patient with us. Uh, but there are other people uh, in this passage uh, besides the disciples. Uh, we are back on the uh, other side of the Sea of Galilee after the feeding of the 4,000. Uh, Jesus goes again to the southwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and we read this verse in verse 11. The Pharisees came uh, right after this miracle and began to argue with him, uh, seeking from him uh, a sign from heaven uh, to test him. Uh, there is, first of all, there is such a thing in the Bible as testing Jesus. Testing Jesus. And here we see the, the really the great difference between faith uh, and unbelief. Faith, uh, we've seen, can be weak uh, or strong. Um, witness the disciples. Faith asks real questions, difficult questions. Faith sometimes lacks understanding. Uh, think about Job and all the things that he asked in the book of Job. Not from a heart of unbelief, uh, but from a heart of, of faith. Very deep and painful questions Job asked of the Lord. Think of the psalmist as we're working through some of the psalms in the evening. All the questions that, that David brings uh, to the Lord and, and real issues and struggles uh, in life. Not from a heart of unbelief, but from a heart of faith. Lacking understanding, but yet still looking to the Lord for help. As we do every day uh, as those who believe. Uh, ask questions because we lack understanding from God. But we do it with a heart of faith. We're looking to him. Uh, to help us. And Jesus is patient 
with those of faith who lack understanding. But then there's also unbelief, that is, people who here in the scriptures are coming to Jesus, they're not seeking understanding, uh, they're seeking to destroy, uh, they're seeking to undermine, uh, they're seeking to tear down. The Pharisees came and began uh, to argue with him. They have not come to worship. Uh, they have not come seeking understanding. Uh, they have not come to serve. They've not come to join his uh, band of disciples, but they've come uh, specifically to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him uh, or to, to trap him. Listen to a word from one of our fathers in the faith, John Calvin. By this word, the evangelists, that is to test him, mean that it was not with honest intentions nor from a desire of instruction, but by cunning and deceit that they demanded what they thought that Christ would refuse, or at least what they imagined was not in his power. Regarding him as utterly mean and despicable, they had no other design than to expose his weakness and to destroy all the applause which he had hitherto obtained among the people. In this manner, says Calvin, unbelievers are said to tempt God or test God, when they murmur at being denied what their fancy prompted them to ask and charge God uh, with want of power. They are not coming uh, in faith uh, looking for help from Jesus, but they're coming to test him. They don't want the crowd to follow him. They want to somehow uh, decrease his applause among the crowd to make him look bad. Now, how do we know that uh, this request of the Pharisees is disingenuous, that is not sincere? Well, if you turn back with me to uh, Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 22, earlier, way back earlier in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we find that the, uh, the scribes uh, and the Pharisees had already had wind of Jesus. They already knew a lot about Jesus early on in the Gospel of Mark. And in Mark 3, 22, we read this. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, uh, he casts out uh, the demons. And so these scribes, these Pharisees, had already had plenty of signs. They knew that Jesus was casting out uh, demons. They had the evidence uh, already. And those signs that they had heard and seen already, they had actually used uh, against Jesus. So it's not that they didn't have signs. Even when they had the signs, they would use those signs against him, even though they couldn't deny them. Now, perhaps they would have said, uh, well, your healings are, you know, signs of earth. Maybe this is just this is earthly things you're doing here. Maybe some sleight of hand uh, casting out demons. They would have said, well, this is a sign from hell. You're in league with the devil. What we want is uh, we want a sign from heaven. Now, of course, Jesus came from heaven. Uh, a voice out of heaven came at his baptism saying, this is my beloved son. Uh, but nonetheless, they wanted uh, they wanted a sign of their own uh, demanding. They wanted a sign from Jesus uh, on their own terms. Uh, they wanted, we could say, uh, Jesus to, uh, as it's alluded to elsewhere in the Gospels, they wanted Jesus to dance to their own tune. And this is the heart of, this is the heart of the Bible showing us the heart of unbelief. Jesus is not Lord. I am Lord. Uh, Jesus is not the standard. I am the standard. I am not accountable to Jesus. Jesus is accountable to me. I know you have done all these signs already. I don't believe them. What I want from you is a sign that, 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 that will satisfy me. Uh, it's the heart of, of unbelief. 
into the heart of unbelief, of course, what is needed is not more signs, uh, but a new heart. And what was lacking for the Pharisees was not more evidence, but eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart of good soil to take in all those signs that they'd already had. And that was right before him, before them. What the Pharisees were doing then was really revealing who their own father was. What are you doing when you're testing Jesus, seeking to find chinks in the armor of Jesus? Well, the Bible says you're following in in the pattern of your father, but it's not a good father. Uh, It's the evil one. Remember Matthew 4? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so they came to test Jesus. They wanted to get him to fall. This is revealing their own hearts. Uh, that they were walking not in the way of the Lord. They're not coming genuinely seeking, uh, but they're seeking to trap Jesus, uh, to have him fall. Well, so that's the first thing. Uh, There is such a thing as testing Jesus, not coming to him in faith, but uh, looking to take him down a notch, looking to uh, somehow show him for less than what he has revealed himself to be in Scripture, and always demanding more from him in order to prove to us that he's worthy of our praise, even though he's already given us all that we need. Well, the answer, of course, to these, uh, these Pharisees who come to Jesus is, the answer that Jesus gives to them is, uh, you have all you need already. Uh, this is what he says, verse 12, his response for this demand for a sign. And that's Jesus, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation And he left them, uh, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Jesus demonstrates here, first of all, a depth of uh, sadness uh, and grief uh, at their unbelief. And he sighed deeply uh, in his uh, spirit, or groaning in his spirit, groaning within. Listen again to, to Calvin. By these words, Mark informs us that it occasioned grief and bitter vexation to our Lord when he saw those ungrateful men obstinately resisting God. And certainly all who are desirous to promote the glory of God and who feel concern about the salvation of men ought to have such feelings that nothing would inflict on their hearts a deeper wound than to see unbelievers purposely blocking up against themselves the way of believing and employing all their ingenuity in obscuring by their clouds the brightness of the word and works of God. So Calvin is simply saying there, this passage shows that that when this happens, Jesus has this this inner grief and, and sadness, that unbelief, and he says this is really what all believers should have. Whenever an unbeliever or maybe someone in our family, a child or a parent or an aunt or uncle or a neighbor, uh, when we we see that unbelief rise up within them and they start to make all sorts of um, uh, uh, excuses or exempting themselves from the call of the gospel, and um, uh, it's meant to, uh, we're supposed to be filled with sadness and, and grief that they're bringing before them, they're setting before their eyes all sorts of obstacles to the, to the words and works of God. That's what happens here. Jesus sighs 
deeply. We should be reminded, for instance, of the Apostle Paul in Romans 9, 1-3. You might remember that when he's talking about his fellow Jews. And he says something like, with, with tears, he says, I, I, uh, I would wish that I myself, that the Apostle Paul, were cut off for the sake of my brethren. Think about that passage. What? That, that for the sake of others that, that are unbelieving, that they would know, know him, that I myself would be cut off. He, he says that with great grief. But Jesus does not only, you may have noticed, does not only demonstrate grief, he also refuses to give them what they want. So Jesus uh, uh, would not get good marks from many a, uh, a mission strategist today. Uh, which is, uh, as a church, as we think about ministry and Paul Tapper or Palmer or wherever it is, uh, well, the first thing you need to do, you need to do a survey of our neighborhood, uh, find out what people want in a church, uh, and, uh, and give it to them. They say, no, uh, no, that's not, that wasn't Jesus' modus uh, operandi here. Um, but his response might, might, might flummox you a little bit. And thinking, well, this is kind of shocking, though. I mean, what is more reasonable? <laughs> And for some to demand some proof before they will put their faith and trust in Jesus. The Pharisees say, give us a sign. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. The words Jesus uses really in response have been characterized as similar to what might have been used at times in the Hebrew oath. So it's a very intense uh, emotion, something like... Um, Something like, truly, if shall be given to this generation a sign, uh, we translate it this way, truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation, but it could be translated this way, if shall be given to this generation a sign, and it just ends. The conclusion of that would be, may God punish me, or may I die. It was, it's, a, it's kind of a, it's, a, it's an oath. There is no sign coming. For you, that you demand in this way. Matthew fills in some more details for us. Get your Bible and turn with me if you would to Matthew 16, uh, who also relates this event in the life of Jesus and gives us some more information here. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven, Matthew 16, 1. And he answered them, when in his evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, uh, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. In other words, Matthew said Jesus actually engaged them and says, listen, you can see, you're, you're very good at, at identifying all sorts of other things. And then verse 4. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. What's the sign of Three days, three nights. A reference to Jesus' own resurrection. That is, Jesus says to these men, if you think any other sign is coming than me, that is, any other sign than my birth, my life, uh, my ministry, my death, my resurrection, you need to think again. If you think any other sign of the glory of God, of the mercy of God, of the compassion and power of God, if you think uh, you need some other sign other than what you have already in me, 
Nothing will be coming. You have all you need in me. I will not give you a sign of your demanding, your choosing, or on your own, on your own terms. Should remind us of the Old Testament uh, story of Naaman the Syrian. Remember Naaman the Syrian who had leprosy and uh, there had been some raiding going on on the border. And so in Naaman's house there was a, the Bible says, a little servant girl who was in that house. And Naaman the Syrian commander had leprosy and the little girl in his house who was from Israel said, Oh, there's a prophet in Israel. You need to go to him. And you will find help. And so Naaman eventually goes to Israel seeking help. And he's eventually directed to the house of Elisha. And, um, and so uh, he sends his, his servant, or Elisha sends a servant out to, to this great commander of Syria and says, uh, go wash in the uh, waters of the Jordan, in the river Jordan, and you will be cleansed. And this commander, this uh, uh, army leader from uh, Syria, the Bible says in 2 Kings 5, he is enraged. Because he says, I thought for sure that, you know, the prophet would come out and there'd be some kind of, you know, grand uh, ceremony and something like that. Who, who, do you, who does he think he is in just sending me a word to obey? And then uh, the end of the story is that uh, Naaman's servant eventually uh, convinces him. He says, well, sir, you would have you done all sorts of things, right? Whatever the prophet said, but how much more so shouldn't you just do what he says here and, and, uh, and obey this word? <laughs> and he does. And he's cleansed. But you see, he came to Elisha thinking, surely there's going to be some kind of wonderful demonstration that will satisfy my status. And, and uh, you know, my, uh, surely it's going to be grand. And Elisha says, go and wash in the Jordan. And, uh, and he's enraged. But eventually he, he submits to the word of God. And he's, and he's cleansed, you see. But it wasn't what he expected from Jesus. Uh, but what are those who remain defiant? So uh, Naaman submitted eventually to that word and washed. But not these folks. What about those who remain defiant? Those who insist that the ministry and life and work of Jesus does not satisfy them and they will not submit to his word, have their blinders removed and ears unstopped? Well, listen to what the Bible says in verse 13. And he, um, and he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. He left them. There comes a time when those who continually refuse his revelation, that is the signs he has given us, there comes a time when they are left. Left to their own. They, they continue to refuse and God in judgment leaves them to their own. Left in their sin. Left in their rebellion. Why? Well, because for them, judgment has already then come because they've hardened their hearts so hard against the truth of who Jesus is. It's a fearful place to be. Which is why we always need to heed the words of Ezekiel 33, 11, where the Lord says, Why will you die, O Israel? Why will you die? Turn, turn, turn from your sin that you might live. I have no, no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that you would, you would turn. And that, of course, is a call to Israel, those who had the word of God. So that's Jesus' response. So first of all, there is something called testing Jesus. We don't want to do that. Uh, we want to come in faith. Jesus' answer is, you have uh, all you need. There's not going to be any more uh, signs for you. You have all you need in me. 
And then the last thing, of course, this passage wants us to know is we need to remember uh, never to miss, never to miss the point. Don't miss the point. Verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. You just heard about the Pharisees and their approach to Jesus. Uh, And they began, verse 16, the disciples, that is, discussing with one another the fact uh, that they had no bread. Don't miss the point. There are many things here in this passage, of course, which should make us scratch our heads a little bit. First of all, the disciples are with Jesus in the boat again, heading, it seems, back to the east side of the sea. Uh, We've just read twice about huge crowds following Jesus. Remember, 5,000, 4,000 following Jesus and not having enough bread with them. (laughs) And now now the disciples themselves obviously haven't learned anything because they they didn't bring bread. More than that, after the 4,000 were fed, uh, we were told that seven baskets full were left. Now, it's interesting, the word for basket after the feeding of the 4,000 is not the same as the feeding of the 5,000. After the feeding of the 5,000, uh, 12 basket fulls were left, normal baskets. Uh, the word used here for basket is the same word that's used in Acts 9, verse 25, uh, when the Apostle Paul is lowered down the walls of Damascus uh, in a basket. Yeah, that kind of, it's, it's a hamper. So they, had, uh, so they had seven huge uh, baskets full of bread left. Where did all that food go? They were eating good, apparently. Um, but also, they only have one loaf. And what's their problem? Well, they're worried that Jesus will be uh, upset because they didn't have enough and now they don't know what to do. So none of these things make sense. You can see them discussing with themselves. I thought you were going to bring the bread. No, I, brought, I was going to get to take care of the fish. Oh, I don't think you have the bread. James Alexander, or Joseph Alexander, Princeton Seminary, says this, 19th century theologian. This little circumstance here in the Gospel of Mark, which none but a true history would have given. Think about that. Uh, If you were the disciples making up a gospel, you wouldn't include stuff uh, that shows how how, how, uh, much you fail. Uh, said Alexander. This speaks volumes as to the simplicity and ignorance of Christ's disciples, even after they had been so long in contact with him, had gone forth from him as apostles, preaching and performing miracles themselves. With respect to the error here recorded, however, childish it may now seem, it becomes us to remember that many who derive such blunders as absurd, if not impossible, would probably have made the same if placed in the same situation with their thoughts running upon bread. So Alexander simply saying there, even as we look at these disciples and we think, how can this possibly be? How ignorant, how childish. Here they're talking about bread when Jesus is talking to them about the, the Pharisees and, and Herod and Alexander simply says, uh, we would have done the same thing in that boat. The point is this. Jesus is speaking to them of spiritual things. He's talking to them about the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. We just read about what they're concerned with. 
making a profession of faith without having their heart in it. And they begin, the disciples do, an in-depth discussion of the baking habits of the Pharisees and, and how they uh, should have watched more cooking shows on HGTV or something like that. And they're like, oh, we, 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 we missed the boat here. Jesus says, let's talk about spiritual danger, your heart, eternity, and what matters most. And they want to talk about baseball or football or Hollywood or memes or tweets or YouTube sensations. And Jesus, verse 17, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? What's the point here? Well, Jesus is addressing their spiritual states, their mind, their heart, eternal things, and warning them of the poisonous teaching and attitude and mindset and heart of the Pharisees and Herod who only come to Jesus to test him. They don't come to him in faith. They are teaching false things about Jesus but all they have on their mind is the here and now. We've got no bread to eat. They were doing the exact opposite of what Colossians 3, 2, 3 says. That we're to not set our mind on earthly things, but to set our mind on heavenly things. They were setting their minds on earthly things and missing the heavenly. Even as Jesus was right before them speaking. What was the point? Well, whereas Jesus was bringing life to the world, Jew and Gentile, providing the bread of life, um, we must always, he says to the disciples, says to us, we must always be on our guard for the leaven of unbelief pictured here in the Pharisees. Leaven used is used to, used to be removed from the house when the, the Jews would celebrate Passover. All leaven would be removed. Um, Leaven wasn't supposed to be used in the grain offering in Leviticus. It became a symbol of pervasively evil influence. It is used in a one good sense in the New Testament. It talks about the kingdom of God uh, is like leaven. That's supposed to have this pervasive influence in our life and in the world. But it also has this intimation of, of evil also can be a pervasive influence. Uh, leaven that gets in everywhere into people's minds and hearts and teachings and churches and nations and and Jesus says simply, beware to watch out for the kind of teaching and hypocrisy and lip service uh, that's offered to God with no heart of faith that you've been hearing from, from the Pharisees, from the scribes, from the Sadducees, and from Herod himself. Remember Herod? Oh, I love to hear John the Baptist. And later in Mark, I say, oh, I want to hear Jesus. Because they're a fun thing to play with. But eventually he, he sees them dead. Beware of that, says Jesus. Playing with the things of God. Giving lip service to the things of God. Don't let that get into your heart and mind. Only come to Jesus in faith. Watch out. Beware. And if the disciples' friends in Jesus' day uh, needed to be warned, how much more so uh, do we? How much more so do we uh, listen one more time to, uh, to John Calvin as he thinks about this warning. Here Christ takes occasion from the circumstance that had just occurred to exhort his disciples to beware of, beware of every abuse that makes an inroad on sincere piety or sincere love for the Lord. In the midst of these dangers, it was very necessary to warn his disciples to be on their guard. For since 
said Calvin, the human mind has a natural inclination towards vanity and errors. We naturally go off the rails. When we're surrounded by wicked inventions, spurious doctrines, and other plagues of the same sort, nothing is more easy than to depart from the true and simple purity of the word of God. And if we once become entangled in these things, it will never be possible for the true religion to hold an entire sway over us. Watch out, said Jesus. Beware of this kind of attitude to me, this kind of teaching, this kind of uh, falsity, so it does not make its way into your heart, playing at the things of God. Now you might say to yourself, well, we're not talking about loaves of bread and missing the reality of Jesus and his kingdom. Uh, But then again, then again, maybe we are. It is an election year, after all. Uh, Primaries are being held. What is most important on the minds of Americans? What about Christians in America? Well, of course, if you watch the polls, the answer, of course, is that it's all about it's all about the economy. It's all about the, it's all about the price of food. It's all about a loaf of bread. <laughs> or is it on our minds and hearts, or is our great concern the rule and reign of Jesus Christ? And electing government leaders who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Are we, perhaps, like the disciples, missing the point? We don't want to do that. Remember, Christian disciple, all you've seen and heard, be on your guard against an unbelieving heart, and rather than arguing with Jesus, testing Jesus, demanding more from Jesus, may we love and adore and cherish him for who he is and all he has done Already, because the Bible says there are no more signs coming, you have and I have all I need already in the glorious person and work of Jesus. And when he wants to speak to me about the eternal things of my heart, don't miss the point. Hear him, hear him, and beware of anything that would lead us away uh, from the glory of who he is. May that be true. For me, may that be true for you today. Let's pray uh, together. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that even in this uh, coming of the Pharisees to Jesus, you are teaching us, as you took that opportunity to teach uh, the disciples to be watchful, to be aware, Lord, of those things that would find their way, like leaven, into our hearts and minds, anything that would lead us away from holding up the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the wonder and glory and majesty of who he is, any teaching, any example, uh, anything in our life that would detract from his glory, detract from his word, and lead us to put our hope and trust in men or ourselves. Help us, Lord, to see that Jesus is Lord and not we. Help us to see that Jesus is the standard. Help us to see that Jesus already has given us all that we need in the gospel, of the wonder of his grace, the wonder of his love and his death, His resurrection, he's given us all that we need that we might see in him uh, are all in all. Help us then, Lord, today to see him for who he is, that we might love him and cherish him by faith 
for his glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing.